All right, I think we're live, right? Oh, yes. Yes, you're right. We are live. So you're here watching Freedom Watch, our July edition. Um, and I'm Rebecca Kosis with Chia of California. And we have a special guest this month, Drew Olander from Family Protection Ministries. You all were probably thinking it was going to be the usual crew. Nathan Pierce from Family Protection Ministry and John McGowan from Chia of California. Um, but they're off doing their own thing this, this month, so we're glad to have Drew with us. Drew is a legislative analyst with Family Protection Ministry. He's been with uh, FPM, as we so fondly refer to the organization, for uh, more than three years now, going on four years, right, Drew? Yep. Okay. And, and Drew, you haven't always been a legislative analyst at FPM. No. No. So how, how did you get started over there? So... Um... I actually was given kind of a, a trial run by, by Nathan. Um, I had just graduated high school. It was during COVID. So um, I, my high school job got shut down and um, his former analyst who had been with him for a number of years was moving out of state. And so he said, all right, well, I, I know this kid, I'll give him a chance. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I started off, uh, it was, quite the crash course of training. Uh, it took me a good number of months to get a handle on things and figure out what we were doing. But um, since then, I've really enjoyed doing it. And um, yeah, it's it's been quite, quite an eventful three years. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I would say so. I think um, Nathan had said at our last broadcast in June that he's never, you guys have never had a session so combative towards family and parent parental rights yeah. this year. Yeah, I was actually just going over the numbers um, in the uh, Frontline podcast this morning. Um, and typically we have, so there's about 3000 bills that have been introduced. That's pretty typical. Um, Sometimes it's a little less, but uh, and we usually track a couple hundred uh, that are of concern. Um, and then we have a, a top, you know, highest priority, very critical, big problem bills. And that's typically between five to seven, maybe 10. Um, and this year it's been at, at 20 uh, since January. Mm, mm. So um, some of them we've, we've, solved we've got our language in there but um just the sheer number that are that are still you know still up there as as big concerns is pretty surprising mm -hmm. uh, especially compared to previous years i've never had a, a year this busy with with problem legislation mm -hmm. oh that's something and we would have thought that covid well covid was a game changer in so many different ways but mm -hmm. something something's changed it's yeah uh, ratcheted up the they've notched notched things up a, a bit and yeah. really pushing well well yeah. we're so appreciative of the, of the work that you do and your colleagues over at family protection ministries and keeping everybody informed so i know that um the legislature is on break right now but there's still that doesn't mean that we should be on break what are some of the yeah some of the bills that we should be concerned about and taking action on so yeah, the, the legislature went on break uh, on July 14th and they'll come back August 14th. Okay. Um, and so this is a bit of a lull in terms of what they're able to do. Surprisingly, while they're all theoretically on vacation, some things still happen. 
Um, don't ask me how they just, some of them like to come in on days off, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but after they get back on the 14th, they'll have until the end of the month until August 31st to either get their bills across the finish line to the governor's desk, um, or they die or they have to keep them and turn them into two-year bills, which means they'll just try again next year. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, one of the bills that is still working its way through that we've actually had a great deal of success on um, is AB 659, which okay. started out uh, when it was introduced in February uh, as a HPV vaccine mandate for schools, for public and private schools. Um, it added HPV vaccine to the, the, the required schedule, you know, along with like tetanus, MMR, TB, things like that. Um, and uh, it's been opposed at every point. We've gotten a number of amendments worked out with the author's office. Um, and it's now a recommendation hmm. that they be vaccinated. It's not an actual mandate. But schools are supposed to notify parents when their kid enters sixth grade to say, hey, we recommend that within the next two years before they enter eighth grade, you should get them this vaccine. Um, so we're still working out what you mean, you know, what they mean by recommendation, because uh, during COVID, there was a lot of recommendations that were treated much more like laws and, and mandates. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, and there's still some confusion, I think, uh, within the legislature on how the private school law works because homeschools operate under private school law. So, um, and a lot of them don't know that. Uh, so it's, that's part of our job is explaining how that works to them. Cause it's not a very conventional setup. Right. In my, in my experience, you know, having a single family private school, would I, as the administrator be, you know, required to notify myself as the parent? I guess it's exactly. just, and how do you prove that where are the where are the what happens if it doesn't happen? I mean, where's yeah. the teeth in all of this? So I I can see the the conundrum there. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of these um, a lot of these bills are I think they, they they come out of the gate very strongly as you know this is a mandate this is what we're doing, um, and I think the very often these bills that are pretty blatant and you know can seem pretty extreme right off the bat. Uh, it's very often the author putting their best foot forward and then they'll slowly, you know, rein it in as they come up against opposition. If they never face opposition, they'll just go with their, you know, their, their furthest shot that they can. Um, so, yeah. So I think, um, with a bill like this, the opposition to it, and also the people that are asking questions like that, you know, do you notify yourself as a private homeschool? Is this actually a recommendation or is this going to be, oh, you're recommended. Um, but now we're actually going to say, well, you didn't, you know, commit to the recommendation. We can't admit your kid to the eighth grade. Mm -hmm. um, so it's things like this that, you know, the, we talk through with the author's office. And even after the fact, if the bill passes, um, it's things that are worked out in court too, very often yeah. when legislators intentionally or unintentionally leave something really vague. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because to me, 
why would you need a law to make a recommendation? Isn't that something where that you would think the health department would be issuing a memo to school yeah, saying we exactly. make, we recommend that you, you know, th this is a recommendation for students mm -hmm. to have. So yeah, it says to me this, there's a law on the books that can be amended to mm -hmm. change strike recommendation and make it a requirement. Is it, is that maybe part of a backdoor in? Or? I, yeah. Um, it wouldn't be the first time that they've started off slow and then eked it up, you know, eat, you know, uh, raise the ante every, every session just a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, there's also kind of a general question of how, how, how would families be notified of this? Um, because there's a system set up for public schools saying, Hey, these are, you know, these are the info packets that kids get sent home with, you know, when I was, in public school, um, you know, and I think early middle school, they they sent us home with a whole massive packet of, you know, this is these are the things you need to give your parents and, you know, you need to give them this information about, oh, uh, these are the safety things. These are the classes you're going to take. These are the things you can opt out of. Mm -hmm. um, so but with private schools, there's much less infrastructure in terms of how 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 those notifications are done. Right. Um, so another concern of this bill as it stands now is to say, hey, okay, if you want this notification to go out to all these families, you know, saying in two years, your kid needs to, is recommended to have this vaccine, uh, what sort of system needs to be set up so that parents get that notification? You know, do you have to, I mean, there's, there's a, you know, concern about would you need every home-based private school to register their address or give an email or something like that, you know, um, for where to send the notification. Um, so again, it's just more kind of ambiguity that needs needs to be uh, answered by the author. Mm -hmm. And as you said before, when we were talking, this isn't the first time you've run into amended language and then it becoming very ambiguous mm -hmm. and not, not sure exactly how it's going to be executed, so. yeah. Yeah, and this bill is especially so um, in that way. I every time it's been amended, I think it's been amended five times, mm -hmm. and each time um, the the problem they were trying to solve it's usually mostly solved, but with the amendment they create a new problem for themselves, and that's mm -hmm. how it's gone basically every time. So um, w with a bill like that, when it's so uh, almost just, it's just a, a pain to try and get it passed. A lot of times legislators will say, okay, I don't even know if it's worth it for this session. Maybe I'll put it on hold. The author for this bill um, hasn't done that yet. Um, mm -hmm. It'd be great if she did, but um, uh, yeah, we just have to wait and see and keep in touch with with her and with her her office about, you know, hey, here's, we still got these problems with it. Can you explain this? Can You're going to have to update the bill so that there's actual clarity on what this means so yeah. well she obviously feels very strongly about this yeah. and withdrawn it so yeah yeah exactly. well i appreciate all of your hard work getting that amended and getting that language changed from a requirement to a recommendation mm -hmm. um what else have you been keeping an eye on for us these past few months yeah so um another big one that i know uh you and Nathan and John have discussed on here uh, in previous 
episodes was um, AB 957, yeah. which um, adds affirmation of a child's gender identity or expression um, to kind of the the conditions on uh, concerning a child's uh, health and well-being is the the, the phrase. Um, so this is um, specifically talking about um, custody disputes, um, but uh, it's adding, you know, um, what they call gender affirmation. They say they keep it very vague. They say, you know, it'll be different for every child. So whatever you need to do to affirm a child's gender, that's what we're talking about, which is no very vague. Yeah. Um, but um, with the sort of laws that California is pursuing, it's pretty clear what they mean by gender affirmation. They don't mean affirming a child's biological gender, right? Um, or biological sex. Um, but uh, with a, a bill like this, there's there's a lot of concern that that's you know, from parents saying, okay, well, if if I'm not affirming of my child's self-perception um, as far as their gender goes, am I going to be liable for something like child abuse, mm-hmm. right? Can I be charged with something or could, could I lose custody of my child? Um, because this, again, this is specifically looking at custody battles. Um, and so they would theoretically under this law give custody preference to the parent that says, well, my my teenage daughter wants to identify as a boy and um i want to affirm that and you know the the other parent doesn't want to and so the court would then say well under this code this is in the in the interest of the child's well-being to affirm mm-hmm. so make the state's policy um a judge has to consider that when deciding custody so it kind of it it sets a, a pretty dangerous precedent for you know um really for any child custody issues um and even not in not in custody disputes but generally you know a a parent maintaining you know the the rights and responsibilities over their own children even without a custody battle it's it's just not a good path to start down right Right, because it gives the courts that leverage, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. To lean yeah. Towards, towards and it and it's scary to me in the in the sense that we're we're talking about affirming a minor's perception of themselves. Yeah. yeah. Which changes. Mm. I'm not the same person I was when I was twelve or sixteen. No. Thank goodness, too. <laughs> you didn't know me then. <laughs> yeah. Well, in my case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we change, don't yeah. we? we? Yeah. Things we just knew were right. We, we yeah. you know, our, as we grow and mature, you know, our perceptions, you know, become more aligned with maybe with reality in mm-hmm. our, and we have real life experience. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. This, is, this is very frightening. Yeah. And um, I don't know if if uh, Nathan or or John have brought it up previously, but um, there's bills in other states that are going even farther uh, or even further, uh, like in Washington state, 
there's a bill that allows the state to revoke a, ch- a parent's custody of their own children if they do not affirm their their child's gender identity. Mm. Um, so that's a concern with this California bill, but it's not explicitly stated like it is in the Washington state bill. And there have been actual, and it it passed, and there have been parents that have come up against the state when they don't affirm their children and the state says well hey you could be charged with child abuse or neglect mm-hmm. and so um yeah typically you know when you see a policy like this people say well look look to california and other states will follow but in a situation like this washington's ahead of us mm-hmm. oh. um, yeah. so yeah and you know in one respect, I could see parents saying, yes, I'm going to humor this child because yeah. it's going to grow out of it. Yeah. But you, but affirming doesn't just mean you humor them or you mm-hmm. allow them to go through this. It can um, have actual like long-term implications if, you know, beyond what they call like a social transition, you know, letting them go by a different name or dress differently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's there's unfortunately um, a financial interest for uh, you know for medical professionals that they they do get a get a financial benefit out of this. It's a money maker, as they've explicitly said in some of those children's hospitals, um, which is very discouraging to hear. Um, but it's also, uh, in my mind clarifying mm-hmm. hearing the people you know that that are following this this movement this belief when they say things explicitly like that you can say hey you can point you know for parents have, that has a, have a child struggling with this or dealing with this or the parent saying i want to do what's right for my child but i don't know what's right mm-hmm. um hearing the the proponents of it saying hey we get money out of this you can understand oh there's a motive for this I want to look into this a little further and see what what does my child actually need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And yeah. in the interest of preserving the child's innocence, growth, and loving them the best you can, you know? It's best for them. Yeah. I have a friend who, you know, years ago had a, has a, she's, you know, had a twins and one of the mm-hmm. little girls had a birth defect mm-hmm. that could have been, um, that could have been addressed with uh, surgery. Mm-hmm. However, the surgery was dangerous. Mm-hmm. It was, and it, she could have, res, it could have resulted in paralysis. Oh, and wow. so in the, and the parents eventually came to the, after a few years, came to the conclusion that they couldn't make that decision for their child. That yeah. when she was 18, and if she wanted to have that surgery and take the, make that decision for herself, you know, they would stand by her. But, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, it, it just, um, that just seems to me to be the voice of reason is that, you know, wait until a person is of the age of majority to make these yeah. kinds of decisions for themselves. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, there, it, it, it seems, um, I mean, you have two camps that seem to be pushing towards this gender affirmation, those that benefit from it mm-hmm. financially, and maybe those that benefit from it scientifically. I, I almost yeah. feel like there's a scientific science. It's an experiment, a social experiment going yeah. on. Um, yeah. And so it is, there's an awful lot of pressure. And I, it, and it, it really, I think we really do need to 
put the brakes on this right yeah. now. Well, it ends up putting families in the middle of it, you know, with all of these influences on them um, and parents that, you know, 99 times out of a hundred genuinely just want what's best for their kids. And um, yeah, it's, uh, there was some testimony on Capitol Hill yesterday um, that was really heartbreaking to see. It was from a 19 year old girl, actually from California that's testified against a number of these, these bills. Um, And she was put on hormones at 13. Um, And because her parents were told, listen, if you don't do this, she's going to hurt herself. They, and they weren't told that by her. They were told that by the therapist, by the doctors and saying, you know, if you don't do this, this is what, this is what'll happen. Like you'll lose your daughter. And um, so, but now she's looking back saying, I had no idea. I wasn't told what would happen. I don't, she doesn't even know if she'll ever be able to have children now. She's 19 and she's, I think she's, she's very articulate and clear and surprisingly level-headed mm-hmm. about all of it. Cause I don't know how I would handle that. Um, but seeing that sort of thing, um, you know, spoken about clearly by somebody that's been through it, uh, I think gives, it, it reminds me of, you know, the compassion that we need to have for, for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, above all, you know, um, because the goal shouldn't be, oh, I don't like what you're doing. Stop that. It's, hey, this this isn't good for you. Mm-hmm. you know, this isn't the way that God has intended things to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I think yeah. that's, that's so important. And that does get overlooked an awful lot, Drew. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hot topic. People are, you know, are, you know, parents are very angry about this, very concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other people that feel very strongly the the other way, and I think it's it's important that we forget, not forget, that we're talking about real human beings that yeah. God that were created in God's image, and He loves them, and yeah. they're and and this is a real issue for them to work through. So yeah, and I think uh, that's something that you know I I need a reminder of myself in, in not even just this issue with with gender stuff, but with anything you know a reminder that hey these you know, these people putting forward bills about, um, you know, like these, you know, say it's a theoretical bill on like limiting homeschooling. They genuinely believe it's not good for the children. They believe that a public school setting is better. Their goal isn't to, you know, um, destroy kids. It's to their, their belief, their worldview is different. I believe it's, it's incorrect. If they believe that, you know, homeschooling is bad for a child, I, I think they're wrong. But um, understanding that they're not, you know, they're not saying, oh, man, I just want I just want children to have a worse education. Um, But that's where we come in. We can say, hey, no, you know, like organizations like Neary with Brian Ray showing, hey, this is this actually works. Right. People do well. Right. So having having those sort of conversations with people that you don't want to assume are fighting against you. Um, So. And sometimes they are, but I don't want to operate under that assumption by default, you know? Right. And I think even if they are opposing you, you personally, mm-hmm. um, but as you said, it's very often, it's an opposing worldview. Yeah. It, is that there still needs to be respect. Yeah. There needs to be respectful dialogue. And, yeah. and I think we need, we definitely need more of that 
in this world. So you brought up something, Drew, that is really important. And I wanted to make sure that our um, audience understands is you you talked about NARI, National Home Mm -hmm. Education Research Institute. And uh, Chia, along with Family Protection Ministries, is working working together to collect um, data, test scores, Mm -hmm. in order to further homeschool research here in California. And also, it will become a greater nationwide study. So we would encourage families to go on our website, chiaofca.org. I'll put the link in comments below um, Mm -hmm. and go learn about our research project. And if you're of a mind to have your children uh, do standardized testing, we'd love to have you join our research. It's ongoing. Uh, There may not be test dates um, right now because I believe we were just back. I think we're we're just coming up to the end if we haven't ended, but we'll be starting again. Mm -hmm. um, So find out more about it and we'd love to have you join us because this is, um, it is important that Drew and Nathan and Dr. Ray have some good solid data when they Mm -hmm. go speak to our representatives, um, when they serve as um, testimony in courts that homeschooling does work. I mean, we've, we have a long track record of um, homeschool students doing very, very well. So glad you brought that up. And Um, very often when legislators are shown this data, they're blown away because they have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and um, actually, I think I think it was a number of it was a couple of months ago. Um, Nathan actually did an interview with Brian Ray. Um, that's on that's on uh, our YouTube. You can also it's on the the main page um, uh, of FPM's website, fpmca.org. Um, but uh, in that interview, Nathan and Brian, Dr. Brian Ray talked through, you know, kind of the history of NERI, what they do, and how it's actually made a difference. And um, uh, Dr. Ray kind of goes through a number of things that he's found in the, how many years has it been? It's over 30 years now, right? If not more. Yeah, a little bit more. I think they celebrated their 30th last year. Okay. Yeah. And it's been just, just the, the amazing results that, that, that he's found in his, in his years researching this, you know, and it hasn't been kind of a misfire here. Like, Oh, it's mostly bad, but Oh, we got a good one. It's been across the board for years. Homeschool students have had incredibly higher outcomes, Mm -hmm. um, academically, socially, um, and just kind of in terms, you know, the well-rounded person category. Right. Right. So we're encouraging everybody, even if you've been homeschooling one year, or 15 years um, to participate because the, the the survey is does take into consideration the ages of the child and the number of years you've homeschooled. So, and even if you feel like, hey, you know, I don't know, you know, we, we don't have ringers. Our kids aren't, you know, you know, they're, they're, I just don't think their grades are good enough to go on there. We actually want everybody to participate, you know, whether you feel like um, your children are going to test well or not. We, it, because it's not just the test scores, but it's also the survey data. So, um, and we don't, we didn't, we, um, we want this to be a real solid scientific test. So everybody test. Yeah. Um, so that's, so I, let's, I will go ahead and put the link to that in the comments below as well. Um, so Drew, you mentioned that uh, the legislature are on break until August 14th. What can our people do in the meantime? So in the meantime, 
After that, yeah. you go back and they, and they have one month to get their yeah. bills finish line. So we should be busy now. Well, I think it's less than one month when once they come back. I think it's like three weeks, maybe, maybe less. It'll be crunch time for them. Um, yeah. Uh, so in the meantime, um, I would say visit your district office if you haven't already. Um, the capital is going to be much slower right now, but the district office, I mean, people are either going to be, you know, out on vacation or they're going to be home with their families. They're going to be in, in their district areas much more. And um, even if they are, you know, not in their office and you can only meet with a staff member, I wouldn't view it as only meeting with a staff member. It's you get to meet with somebody that has the legislator's ear, you know, um, that, uh, they, I mean, very often when, when I'm working through a bill with an office, I don't speak to the legislator. I just speak to a staff member and we solve the whole problem without ever getting in touch with the legislator. Mm -hmm. Staff members, they have a lot of influence, um, in, in these offices. Um, so yeah, bring up bills of concern, like things on, you know, on FPM bill tracker, like on our website, bills that are up there. Um, some of the bills we talked about today, 659 or 957. Um, and, uh, you know, give them something to think about when they get back. Um, you can even think of it as like leaving a message for somebody, you know, on a, on a voice, on a voicemail or something. So. Okay. All right. That's wonderful. Well, I will, um, you said there's a bill tracker on FPM's website. We'll go ahead yes. and to that as yes. well. And then she also republishes all of the alerts mm -hmm. the protection ministry sends out. So I would recommend you subscribe to our e-news, the connection, which goes out every, um, you get it early Tuesday morning and mm -hmm. there'll be alerts in there as well. Action alerts. So, um, well, Drew, it's been a pleasure been great talking to you yeah so good and i know we just saw each other a couple of weeks ago but yeah there wasn't a lot of time to catch up so no we were both kind of running around like crazy <laughs> yeah yeah that was at our convention and so um uh we do have the audios up for our convention now thank you drew for all your assistance on that yeah of course and she also has an in the neighborhood event coming up in sacramento so i'll put the link to that in our comments below. So um, again, thank you, Drew Olander from Family Protection Ministry, legislative analyst for joining us this month. And John uh, McGowan and Nathan Pierce will be back next month for an August broadcast. So awesome. thank you, Rebecca. Thanks, everybody, and have a great weekend. You too.